Welcome to our podcast, Forgotten Victims, The Forensic Interview. Forensic interviewing traditionally has been associated with child victims. Over the past decade, there's been an evolution in the field of forensic interviewing where it's being applied to vulnerable victims of all ages, forgotten victims, victims with disabilities, mental health disorders, and older adult populations. On today's episode, I'm joined by senior consultant Dermot Whelan. Welcome, Dermot. Hi, Stacy. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So one of the things that uh, Dermot and I get to do a lot together is is train. And I love having both of our perspectives because being a forensic interviewer and then Dermot having worked in law enforcement, really we're able to sort of give both of those perspectives on, on cases. So that's what we're going to do here today. So Dermot, I'm wondering if you'll share an example of a case. And we do this a lot in training too, where we talk about cases that went well and sometimes cases that didn't go so well because we know people can learn from both our successes and our shortcomings. So think of a case for me that you think went really well and sort of walk us through that and you know, just sort of what steps were taken and maybe people can learn from a case that, that we did well that you don't mind sharing with us. Sure. Um, I have one case that really comes to mind that uh, I think my my partner and I did a very good job, a thorough job uh, investigating, and it, it turned out to be very successful. Uh, I'm going to change the names of the of the people that were involved in that. Of course. Um, so we had received an allegation that a staff, a direct support staff by the name of Steve, uh, he worked at a group home, and Steve was seen at a semi-pro baseball game with a resident of the group home who was 20 years old. We'll call him John. So John was 20 years old. He lived in that group home, and he was diagnosed with uh, intellectual disability. And so Steve and John were at the semi-pro baseball game, and they ran across some former colleagues of Steve's from another group home. And the the former colleagues were a little put off because they, they were looking at the interaction between Steve and John, and uh, S- John looked very young. <coughs> he was 20 years old, um, but he looked younger. So Steve was holding hands, kissing him, introduced him as his boyfriend, and was feeding him beer uh, and getting him intoxicated while at the baseball game. So some of his former colleagues became a little concerned about that and reported it. Which so these would be colleagues that maybe knew what Steve's job was because they'd worked with him in a similar role correct. previously. Okay, correct. Right. Okay. Um, and they recognized uh, that john was was somebody who was you know residing in a group home and receiving services uh, from you know a provider so they called it in because they were concerned about like the age difference the fact that he seemed very young and was getting uh served alcohol and things like that so we went out and we interviewed john and we did a really good forensic interview of john we spent a couple hours speaking with john and uh, we developed a very good relationship, you know, building rapport and, and working through and making him feel comfortable. All those things that we talk about are so important in every investigation, certainly in things that sometimes people skip. So good to invest that time, even though two hours sounds like a long time for a victim interview, really investing that time makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, it certainly did. And we learned so much from John throughout the course of the interview. We actually learned that he was involved with, uh, in a romantic relationship with a girl that he lived with at the group home. So this presented like a dynamic for him because he was kind of questioning his sexuality because he felt attracted to this male staff, but he had been dating this girl for a while. So that was like a little bit of a wrinkle in the case we were looking at. 
Well, and it could present as a block or barrier for him wanting to share things with you all. It sounds like it could be something where he maybe, maybe something you had to sort of overcome even in the interview with him. It it absolutely was. Uh, It was a, it was a barrier for him to discuss because he didn't know how it was going to affect his relationship with, with his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. if she would be understanding of that. Um, Plus just, you know, the challenges of, of somebody who was questioning their sexuality and now just had a different experience. So, you know, it was a multifaceted um, barrier that we had to deal with. But again, because of the time invested and, and the rapport building that we did, it, it worked out really well for, for us and he became comfortable to speak with us. So when, you know, we asked him uh, throughout the course of the interview, he was able to confirm for us that he was at the baseball game and that the staff Steve had given him alcohol at the game was holding his hand and kissing him it made him feel a little uncomfortable um, and then was introduced to friends of Steve's as like a couple they were you know Steve was introducing him as his boyfriend so as the interview went on we we learned a lot of other things too we learned that Steve had brought John to Steve's apartment back to his apartment complex and had spent some time in the apartment where there was some touching some oral sex um, some alcohol being served and some marijuana being smoked. And we learned that he met a neighbor and the neighbor's daughter, remembered their names, could provide a physical description of them, sat by the pool, described the pool, was able to describe the interior of Steve's apartment, the pot pipe that they used to smoke marijuana from, so provided a lot of robust details. Those details that we know are going to ultimately be the key, right, to corroborating cases like this where there's usually not a lot of, you know, witnesses or evidence or other things that we can sort of lean on. Exactly, and those details are easily followed up on, right, So because it's a physical structure. So we knew that he was at the apartment uh, and could provide some really good details. He provided really good details about the apartment, uh, the smoke and the marijuana, there was another wrinkle that that popped up about the whole marijuana thing. Um, apparently, they had smoked the little bit that was left and wanted to get more. So John, wanted, uh, Steve wanted to get more to continue smoking. So Steve made several phone calls to people he knows who he normally acquired marijuana from. Uh, so we stored that nugget away because phone records automatically come up. And um, so we also learned that Steve was in a romantic relationship with the house manager, Lyle. And Lyle and Steve actually lived together in this apartment, but had kind of broken up because Lyle was stepping out and engaging in in relationships with other men. So Steve was kind of like a little bit of a jilted lover. And now I think it might have been like a, a love triangle maybe to get some jealousy and things going like that because it was an awkward situation that Steve and Lyle were still living together. We also found out that it wasn't an isolated incident. Uh, John shared with us that there had been an incident at the group home out in the woods where there was some touching and some oral sex that had happened. We found out that Steve was picking uh, John up on a regular basis and taking him to like parks and park and rides and parking and having you know physical contact uh, with John. So it sounds like through the use of some of those narrative prompts and really open questionings about other times, other experiences. Tell me all about you know your experiences with spending time with um, with Steve, saying those things to John. You guys found out all sorts of stuff, multiple places, multiple incidents, lots of different types of abuse going on. So those open questions, because I like how you said, well, you know, at first you you know sort of told us about the baseball game, and so and we knew that because that's what had been reported. But then if you had just stopped there. 
you wouldn't have all of this other fantastic information. So the importance of that in-depth taking time with the forensic interview and asking those open-ended prompts. And, you know, some, some people, depending on how much interaction they've had with folks with disabilities, might be a little surprised by the amount of information that, that was provided. But that's just, I think, part of, again, that investment in time, rapport building, breaking down some of those blocks and barriers to really get that valuable information that potentially could lead to some corroboration, which I think that's where we're headed because you've dropped a yeah. couple of hints for me, Dermot. So, so tell us what happened next. So absolutely. So then... Um we started conducting our, our investigation and looking to corroborate some elements that uh, John had provided to us. Naturally, we pulled the, the game schedule, verified, so we have you know, a victim telling us he was at a particular game. We have independent witnesses saying there was a game he was at that. We pulled the game schedule, found out the date, the time of the game, and when that started. Um, we then pulled phone records, Steve's phone records, and we found the phone numbers that were called during the time frame. And where I'm from, in, in the area this happened, we have what's called license plate readers, LPRs, that are positioned throughout the city. So they record license plates that pass underneath them. So we sent in an inquiry to our crime analysis center uh, that's located in, in the city uh, that I worked in, and we were able to pull license plate records showing Steve's ve vehicle in a particular area of the city and moving through a particular area of the city, which was not near where the baseball game was and not near his home. When we ran the phone numbers, we got names and addresses of who the phone numbers belonged to. Then we did a local criminal history check, like a contact, and we found out that uh, one particular person who was called um, had a history of being arrested with marijuana possession and sale. So we're like, oh, now we know who his, his contact was. Um, then we, we decided to interview uh, Lyle to now confirm, like, see what he knew. So this is the house manager boyfriend. The house manager boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend, ex roommate. Yes, ex-boyfriend, still roommate. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So Lyle started... Um, at first being a little dodgy, but then when he was presented with a lot of the information we knew about the neighbor, the pool, the setup, the layout, the color of the couch, the you know, the color of the walls, the, the you know, general layout of the apartment, Lyle decided to cooperate, uh, especially when we brought in the fact that, well, if you're not going to cooperate with us, then maybe the, the drug dealer that you and, and Steve use will be a little bit more inclined to cooperate with us, and he, he didn't want to bring them into it because that would be a bad look for him. Uh, <laughs> So, so suddenly he started cooperating, okay. and he, he corroborated the pot pipe description that they smoked marijuana, the layout of the house, uh, provided all that good uh, corroborating evidence that was there. Then uh, during the course of the investigation, we also pulled the house logs that showed that on a particular day of the game that Steve had come to the house and had signed John out, although he didn't go through the right permission process for doing that. Other staff were aware that he took uh, John to the game that particular day. Then we also were able to corroborate uh, certain other time frames that, like the sexual encounter that happened at the house. We had a staff that remembered them coming on, on this particular day. They had had a, a campfire in the background, in the backyard, had gone out looking for the two of them because they had disappeared from that area and saw them coming out of a wooded area in front of the house. Which was described in the interview. Yes, right? described through the interview. So we were able to really corroborate a whole, a whole bunch of uh, information and really lay it out. So after Lyle had been interviewed, we, we figured, well, Lyle's going to go back and he's going to talk to Steve and kind of prep Steve as to these guys really know like what happened. They have a lot of evidence. And um, 
when Steve came in to be interviewed, uh, he voluntarily came in and interviewed with us. And it's probably the first and only time that we asked one question, which was just tell us what happened. And he basically confessed to everything from start to finish. Um, I remember looking at my partner, like almost amazed that this guy knew the gig was up mm -hmm. and he was just going to fall on the sword and, and take his lumps. And he, he basically just confessed to everything. We cleaned up a few more details and uh, got some clarity on some things. And uh, we were able to proceed with, with an arrest in this particular case. So, you know, again, a 20-year-old uh, young man with intellectual disability having a relationship with the staff, totally inappropriate. And right, and, and the staff seeking you know, preying on that vulnerability and serving him alcohol and all, you know, all the things that you talked about, which we could do a whole nother episode, right? Probably just all about the grooming of this particular case, because you can see how the layers and the time has built up and the multiple incidents certainly were, uh, were a factor. So yeah, that sounds like a very successful case. And you know, the thing that I liked a, a lot about what may seem like a small detail, but was so important was the description of the inside of the apartment. So that's something that in, I know in cases I've had before where I've seen interviewers ask questions about like what the outside of the house looked like or like what it was near or maybe, you know, like a landmark outside or what you saw out the window. Well, that's not in my experience anyway, in my practice, what people either pay attention to or remember the best, it's the inside. That's where they spend the most of their time. Same thing with like car descriptions. Have them describe the inside of the car or the inside of the apartment because that's where they're spending the majority of their time. And to be able to describe it, then the suspect's never going to be able to say, oh, well, they haven't been inside my apartment. It's like, oh, well, they just described it perfectly and this is what it looks like and here's a photo of it, right? So I think those are the things where if we give people the opportunity to give us those details, you can put a, you know, a case together pretty solidly, which it sounds like you and your partner are able to do in this case. So that's Yeah, great. we were, and it had a good resolution for, uh, for John, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of woke the house up too that, wow, we need, to, we need to be looking at this and watching what staff are doing and tighten up our protocol so that other, other people in the house wouldn't be victimized in, in a similar fashion. But yeah, that's, you know, the takeaway is, is spending the time with folks giving them the opportunity to tell their story and have, you know, take that leap of faith that they can actually tell you the story and provide a lot of details to have a successful resolution to an investigation. Because again, at the beginning, a lot of people didn't believe it, you know, um, even despite that it was an independent outside person making the complaint, you know, it's hard to believe that your coworkers at times would engage in that kind of behavior or, you know, somebody you know would engage in that kind of behavior. But unfortunately, it does happen. And we have to give these investigations their due course and really run it down. I mean, a case like this, just, you know, the other information that I think was really important from the interview was the phone calls mm -hmm. that he called around looking for marijuana. Yes. Because then that led us to pulling the license plate reader history and then pulling the phone records and then having it all work out in the time frame because everything's time stamped, mm -hmm. right? Your cell phones, the, the license plate readers. And then, you know, we do the, the local criminal history check and we get all that background. And it's just, it's hard to wiggle out. And I think that's what he knew. So he just came in and he wasn't going to try and play games. He wanted to just address it and, and get beyond it. Yeah. So. And again, questions that people might not think to ask, but you don't have to think to ask those questions. You just say, tell me what happened. You know, the very next thing that happened, what happened next? Tell me everything that happened when you were at the apartment from start to finish, giving those prompts because you wouldn't think to ask, oh, did they make any phone calls? That's not a really great question. We wouldn't encourage that. But letting that information come freely and independently based on their memory is where we're really going to get those those really good details. So absolutely awesome. That's a great case. Thanks for sharing that. With You're us, welcome. Derwin.
hopefully awesome. uh, some people find it helpful and take some investigative strategies from that. All right. Sounds good. Good, good interview. Give people a chance to tell their story and follow up on everything. Right? That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks, Dervit. All right. Thank you. And thanks for listening. To learn more about the work being done by Modell Consulting Group, visit our website, modellconsultinggroup.com, or follow us on social media.